0: It wasn't that he added a new skill it wasn't that he added a new shot you know of some kind like he had all that he had the biggest bag arguably in nba history (laughs) in terms of skill he had one area where he could improve and take his game up and it was becoming stronger and better conditioned and he did it and the impact it had on the things that he could do and the weaker areas such as defensively is is truly remarkable Welcome into the Train with the Best podcast, a podcast by Fit Pros for anyone who loves the world of fitness and wants to understand it better. I'm Craig Hoffman, a personal trainer, performance coach, and media personality.
1: And I'm Chris Gore, as a 15 year strength and conditioning coach, master trainer, and international educator.
0: And today's podcast is going to be about how strength and conditioning can help you win in life, or if you're the Golden State Warriors, an NBA championship. Warriors, as we record this on Friday afternoon, clinched last night in Game 6, a dominant victory over the Boston Celtics. They really just outplayed them, outlasted them in this series, and the outlasted part is kind of where we're going to focus. This isn't going to be a basketball breakdown or anything like that, but I think if you are as big a sports fans as Chris and I are and you know about this Warriors team, you know. How significant a role strength and conditioning played in the Warriors' success, specifically to get back to this mountaintop after they obviously have been there before and went real deep in the valley in between with all the injuries and things that they had. At the end of the show, we will also, I guess the second half of the show, we'll also talk about conditioning for all, a general population talk. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about conditioning lately in my own training, and so I want to pick Chris's brain, and and Chris, let you talk about some of the things that are floating around in your head on the conditioning side of things, too. But um, when you think about this Warriors championship, like obviously Stephen Curry is the center of it. He finally gets the finals MVP. And just so people understand, this is a guy that, Was a three-time champion, one of the best players ever, all-time great shooter, all that kind of stuff before 2019, 2020 COVID hits and he has this hand injury that winds up essentially keeping him out for almost a year and a half when you combine the break that everybody took for COVID and the fact that the Warriors didn't make the NBA bubble and then this injury that he has that keeps him out a large part of the next season and Actually, I think that, that that season was the one he was out, and then the Warriors don't make right. the bubble, and then right. loops around, they start late, all that kind of stuff. Yep. And what he did during that time was take time that a lot of athletes never get in their careers to kind of reinvent themselves, or in his case, kind of clean up some weaker areas of his game, including his strength. And this is, by the way, the second time in his career that he kind of did this. Because he had those ankle injuries earlier in his career that nearly ended it. Like, Steph Curry, that we know now, almost never happens because his ankles were so bad. He goes on kind of a strength and conditioning journey, strengthens that up. They are able to to save his career. He goes on and has this first stretch of brilliance. And now you're entering the final, what we assume is the final phase of his career, where he's still at the very top of his game. And you see how the strength and the bigger body that he now plays in is able to help him get to the rim, finish, do all these things. You watch him playing defense against much bigger players and doing a great job. And then I think what's most impressive is the conditioning to to move around as much as he does, to have as much pressure as he does and much responsibility as he does, and to be able to withstand that and continue to execute mentally and physically at such a high level all the way into mid-June and then walk away with the fourth ring.
1: Yeah, and I think that's, you know, when when you take a look at the transformation that he went through, because if you take a look at his body, certainly from now and the beginning of his career, and even from now to a couple of years ago before COVID, he went through a pretty big transformation. And that takes buy-in, not just from him, but from the organization as well, right? Because it's a very unique challenge to um train for hypertrophy for a basketball player especially a basketball basketball player in the nba the schedule just doesn't allow for it right like you're you're in your training or you're in your basketball competition schedule for 10 months out of the year i think right so it's well especially
0: if you're if you're a yeah. you're playing in the finals yeah because training camp starts in late august early september um and then you play all the way until June. So right. and he you know, went if you miss the playoffs finals. that's one thing and you're right. done done April 15th like sure but for Steph like you just said he went five straight finals like he's playing 10 months a year and by the way he also i believe was a part of some olympic teams and, and some other usa basketball stuff yeah. where he's got other competitions in between some of those seasons.
1: Right. And so and so now let's get to the hypertrophy. So if you're if you're thinking okay I'm training camp starts in late August, early September we're playing until mid june early almost early july right like when and then after after june you're going to take time off and now now you've really only got maybe a month left to enjoy time with your family and stuff like that so uh if, if you know anything about hypertrophy like hypertrophy is going to take 6 weeks of consistent training for you to start to see results yeah you'll get stronger and all that you'll notice like that your muscles will become more dense and all that other stuff but like For you to actually gain muscle and for you to be on the nutrition program that's going to allow you to gain muscle, it's going to take six weeks before you're actually going to start to gain muscle. That's just physiology. I can't change that. Nobody can change that. You're not going to be able to change that. Sure, you can take creatine and swell your muscles, but that's not real weight. That's just your muscles holding in more water. right? Actual muscle gain is going to take time. Six weeks is about what it usually is. Maybe you get... They're a little bit faster, but let's call it four weeks, right? So that, right. for for you to have to go through an hypertrophy phase, you've got to buy into that because, like I said, the eating has to match your, your workouts. Your sleeping habits have to match the workouts. And then organizationally, like, you have to let the team know almost, and the team has to be in with it and say, yeah, we're going to time this and, and make this a priority so that, hey, look, like, we don't care about regular season games in – October, November, December, right? Like, and, and you could even see throughout the course of this season as the, the Warriors were dealing with different injuries and bringing Clay back along and Draymond had his thing and, and Steph had his thing after his ankle. It's like, look, don't rush back. We're good with the three seed. We don't need to come in here with the best record in the NBA. We know what we are once we get to the playoffs. Let's plan for June. And you could see it here, right? Whereas Boston, for instance... Boston has been fighting to get back to where they were since January. They were a 500 team, and they're fighting and clawing every single game. And you can see, even in the playoffs, they had two straight back-to-back seven-game series with Milwaukee and with Miami. And even in those series, you could see fatigue starting to kind of set in. Now they're in the finals, right? And now let's add all that mental pressure that comes with the finals. How do you sleep at night when you know this is the finals? Right. Whereas the Warriors, they've been here. They've been here five times before. I know. I know what this ride is like. So I, I can. I can find ways to rest. Like, does, does does Jason Tatum know that? Does Jason Tatum know? Like, obviously, he's played on big stages before, but this is the biggest stage he's ever been on. He's never been to the NBA Finals. He's never been playing against Steph and Clay and Dre. So now, not just like, hey, how do you recover in in from quarter to quarter, or when you get when you get your your rest on the bench, but how do you recover in between games? How do you block out all the noise? And Draymond's out here doing podcasts after games, right? So like that's right. how that's how chill he is. Like he's comfortable in this situation where he can be like, "Look, man, I I can get my rest. I can do a podcast. I'm cool. I've been here before. I know I know how to get my rest and how to recover from this." So yeah, you yeah. can see it. All you can see it for sure on the court.
0: Well, I want to go back to the hypertrophy stuff with Steph because the timeline here is important. Yep. And this is uh, something that, on a, in a different realm, when we had Alicia Clark from the Mystics on the podcast, uh, who's a, obviously a great friend a couple, at this point, months ago, we talked about this with her. She goes from has gone in her entire career from WNBA season to international, WNBA international, WA international. And then she had this foot injury that caused her to miss an entire W and an entire international season. And as she built back from that injury, she was able to do skill development in a way that she never had in her career because she never had the time. She was always in game mode. It's what do I need to do for my team right now within the skill set that I have, which for her was be an – all-world defender and spot-up shooter now all of a sudden as she's rebuilding her game and not playing overseas she's able to add in some off the dribble some pick and roll ball handler stuff and it, it you see it you know in certain situations this year the mystics are using her that way that time in the schedule allowed for her to do that and that when you talk about what stefan needed to be able to do it wasn't like he just kicked away part of a season so that he could lift some heavy shit and show up with a bigger body he got injured in a game against phoenix on what was this october 30th of 2019 right so this is pre-covid pre-everything he misses uh, all the all of november all of december all of january all of february and then in mid-march Uh, He comes back or early March. He comes back. He plays one game first one he's played in months. And then two days later or three days later, the world shuts down. So he plays one game from October 30th of 2019 until the 2021 or sorry, the 2020 2021 season starts, which starts late because of COVID in December. So he plays one competitive NBA basketball game in over a year. And that time where he obviously he played that one game in March before the world shut down. So he's back and healthy. His hands fine. He can lift. He can you know do all his workouts. But in that time, knowing, OK, no bubble where the, the rest of the NBA is in Orlando from what was it like June until August, he's just working out. And he has that time that he would never have in any other offseason to put on 10, 15, 20 pounds of muscle to change his body composition and to get used to that. Because that's right. the other thing, too, is like it's one thing to be able to put on weight. It's another thing to be able to play it that way. Right. And Steph's conditioning to one. I mean, on one hand, it makes it easier, which is why he does it. He can take more hits because he has a bigger, more sustainable body. But he's also got to carry that around through all of the movement, all that's the right. off-ball running and everything that he does. He's got to be able to balance that body to stay as efficient of a shooter as he is, to, to be able to do all the creative finishes. And you just see it. They did it right. And, and not only did he put on weight, I feel like he's a more explosive athlete. Um, and, and that's really hard to do in your mid or early 30s when most guys peak athletically in their, in their mid-20s. And you see his intelligence that he's garnered over 13 years in the league with this incredible strength and conditioning program that he was able to implement. And I, it's just, I, I can't applaud enough the foresight that he had and his trainers and, and whoever with the organization and his outside trainer, the guy he works with down in Charlotte, Like how much foresight they had to go, this is what can take you, already arguably the best player in the world, right. to the next level, and they did it and right. it just to me i think it's really cool through the lens that we're talking about but through really any lens that it wasn't that he added a new skill it wasn't that he added a new shot you know of some kind like he had all that he had the biggest bag arguably in nba history <laughs> in terms of skill right. he had one area where he could improve and take his game up And it was becoming stronger and better conditioned, and he did it. And the impact it had on the things that he could do, and the weaker areas such as defensively, is is truly remarkable.
1: Yeah, and you could see it. Like not to get too uh, not to get too deep into the basketball, but like Boston was targeting Steph. They wanted to try to back him down, and they couldn't do it. Like Steph was holding his ground against players who are six ten. Like Steph is six two. Now there was a couple of times when, yeah, like you can't help when, when you're six two against six ten. Yeah, sometimes you have to take a foul. But he right. he more than held his own. The the Warriors didn't have to double team right. Like against Al Horford, who, you know, that's a that's a matchup that Boston in in their minds they think, oh, we'll win this, but. Steph is not getting pushed off the block, and 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 more than just Steph. Like you look around the entire team, like Gary Payton holds his own, and and he's not. Uh, he like I think we were talking about it before we, we went live with this. Like Gary Payton is the tallest 6'3 guy in the world because right. what a
0: quote from Steph that yeah. that's what he calls him.
1: Yeah, I mean I mean Gary Payton is a guy that catches that. Standing still, he catches. I think it was in the fourth quarter, the beginning of the fourth quarter. He catches mm-hmm. the ball standing still and off of two feet, just jumps and just hammers it home with two hands. Like there's not a lot of six-three guys that are doing that in the fourth quarter of Game Six in the NBA Finals, right? Um, Clay, for for Clay to come back off of an ACL tear and then an Achilles tear right after that, like for him and 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 their foresight of planning, like, hey, we're gonna bring you back. This is how many minutes that you're gonna play and. We're going to start to increase those minutes because really we just need you for the playoffs. We don't need you for February and March. We need you for uh, you know May and June. So um, same thing with Draymond. They didn't rush him back. When, when Steph went down with his ankle injury, they didn't rush him back because they, they just knew like this is the moment that we need to prepare for. And you could see they were physically ready for it. They were mentally ready for it. And, and that's a, um, a credit to them.
0: The Trade With The Best podcast is brought to you by Super Coffee. And we just got a brand new coffee maker espresso machine for our apartment. And I'm pretty psyched about it. And I'm pretty psyched about it for a lot of reasons. Like obviously getting to make my own cool coffee at home is very exciting. And it's convenient. And it saves money and all those kinds of things. But it also means that the Super Coffee grounds that I've had now I have a place to, to really use them and, and also to share the love because I had like a little pour over thing that was individual and now I can just make a pot of coffee. And if we have friends over, we can be like, hey, do you want coffee? And I'd be like, hey, here's this delicious coffee. And they don't even have to know it's super coffee. Of course, I would tell them because why would I deprive them of that knowledge? And by the way, what, what did I just say? It's, uh, it's convenient, it's delicious. Uh, all these things that I said of why I'm excited to get this coffee maker, that's also just what super coffee is. And you don't have to make it that's the convenient part. It comes in a ready-to-drink bottle. They've got all kinds of things. So whether you're ready to drink, whether you're a nice pot of coffee at home, if you're looking for some creamer to go in, really, either one, they've got you covered. Anything coffee-adjacent, one-stop shop. drinksupercoffee.com. Use the code TRAINWITHTHEBEST, and you get 25% off your first order. That's TRAINWITHTHEBEST at drinksupercoffee.com. The Train with the Best podcast is brought to you by JAKU. A personal speed and agility measurement system. Joku has eliminated the need for expensive timing gate system, and they killed the stopwatch. Now you can test speed, agility, and reaction time with just the Joku speed wearable sensor and your phone. That's it. Nothing is easier or more accurate. Way easier than those gate systems, way less expensive than those gate systems, and it's way more accurate than a stopwatch. I I know a lot of coaches, you're like, I don't know, my stopwatch is pretty accurate. You know, it's more accurate than you, a machine, a machine that has technology that's patented and is proven to work each and every time. Now, whether you're measuring reaction time, set up a short gate and see how fast someone reacts to something to just getting a super accurate time over time, rep after rep, set after set, continually consistent timing device. There's nothing better than Jaku. And that the, the, Really, to me, the coolest thing about Jakku, what sets it apart is not only can it be used for straight line speed like the gate systems can. Again, I don't know why you use an expensive gate system when you can get a Jakku, but like, fine. We've used it forever. We trust it. Cool. Let me see your gate do a 510.5. Let me see your gate do a custom drill that you made up that you've been trying to get accurate timing on for years. Let me see your gate system do anything that is not straight linear speed. Jakku does. So... Quit messing around. Go right now. jaku.com slash discount slash TWTB for 20% off. That's jaku.com slash discount slash TWTB.
1: The other thing I I do want to say, too, when it comes to Steph is, like, I don't think that Steph uh, gets—we know that Steph is the ultimate skilled shooter, point guard, all that. I don't think we give him enough— credit for that mamba mentality that we give to a little or jordan or Kobe, we don't give him enough credit for how petty and competitive he is the way that those guys were right <laughs> he knew like hey this is what i gotta do I, I gotta be a better defender i don't have to be all world but i have to be a better defender right you look at somebody like luka doncic he needs to do something like that where he needs to be like hey like i need to Take my physical conditioning a little bit more seriously so that, that I can be a respectable defender. Steph knew that this is the, the one thing that people are targeting him for, and, and he wanted to fix that, and he did. So credit to him for, for being that type of a competitor. I don't think he gets enough credit for being that type of guy.
0: No, I, I agree with you. And it's actually something that I'm going to talk about, you know, obviously by the time people are hearing this podcast next week, I will have already done this show, but like I'm on the radio later today, um, in for grand Danny. And one of the things I'm going to talk about is like, I actually think like tier one of, of NBA history is like your Jordan LeBron, Bill Russell, you know, maybe magic and Kareem, like there's, there's five or six guys. And then there's like second tier that's got guys like Kobe Bryant. And Steph's on that tier. Steph's on that tier. And too. and 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 I think part of that is is the competitive character. Like you don't get to that level without the competitive character that Stephen yeah. Curry has. And that is also the kind of thing that gets you through those workouts when it is a grind, especially if it's a rehab situation. But even yeah. past that, like to do a hypertrophy level workout or to do a hypertrophy workout on like an NBA level, that shit hurts, hurts. and your body feels terrible. And to be to be one of the three best players in the world and be like, yeah, I'm going to go through that. I'm willing to, to, to do this. I'm willing to make that change. I'm willing to have that diligence. Like that comes from a competitive character that he has that just not everybody has. And, and it'd be real easy for him to rest on being extremely great. And instead he went for legendary and, and you see how that plays out.
1: Yeah. And I think you see the best players in the world do it. Like CP does it. LeBron does it, obviously. The guys that take care of the body because they realize that, hey, once I get to the NBA, uh, and this is something that maybe a lot of people don't know, but it's really once you get to the NBA that you have time to do that because Mm -hmm. if you're an elite level high school basketball player, you're playing high school basketball player, then AAU, then you get invited to tournaments and this and that. So you don't have time to lift and in, in basketball, the that's not in the culture the way that it is in football per se, right? Like I'm not saying that Mm -hmm. strength and conditioning isn't a part of the culture. It it is, but not in the way that football football players get in and say, I gotta get bigger, I gotta get stronger, this and that. Like basketball players, if you say, Hey, we're working out for ninety minutes today, they wanna shoot for an hour and then and then maybe they got thirty minutes, right? And that's just not gonna cut it when when you're trying to get bigger, right? So right. it's really once you get to the NBA, like, you, you look, Jason Tatum did it too, right? Like, Jason Tatum has changed his body since he's gotten to For the sure. NBA. And I remember working with him, with, with Drew and Pure Sweat, when he was coming out of Duke, it was like, hey, like, we got to get him past his first NBA season, right? Because Jason Tatum up until then was high school basketball, AAU basketball, international basketball, then Duke, then summer league in the NBA, then the NBA season, and now finally there's an NBA offseason season. Or we can focus on strength and conditioning and, and get you bigger, right? So, like, and, and I think for for a lot of people, they come up in um in and they form those habits where strength and conditioning isn't isn't a thing. And and, and you can see for the guys that haven't embraced it, um, you can see that they they, they their, their careers don't take off maybe in in the same trajectory or the projection that they thought, right? And then and then yeah. it takes somebody like an Andrew Wiggins to get around a Steph and a Clay to say, oh wow, like this is this is what it's actually supposed to look like.
0: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, Draymond, the way he's changed his body over the years, like he was definitely a lot doughier as a younger player. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you you just watch the work ethic and how it pervades that entire organization. And this is really the second straight year you can point to strength and conditioning as a huge factor in in the best player taking home the title. Like the the transformation Giannis has made from a 19-year-old kid coming out of Greece and like... It's, it's remarkable, and, and I think the last point I'll make on the conditioning front of this, because we talk a lot, obviously, about it. I think it's easier to see some of the strength yeah. stuff. It's like, oh, yeah, that finish he made where he took the contact and, and wasn't phased or whatever it is, or defensively he holds up. But on a conditioning element, you know, for a sport athlete, your ability to execute the skills that you've practiced and you've taken all that time, the better condition you are, the less tired you are, the lower your heart rate is, the less strained your body is, the more precise you will be with your movements and the better decisions you're going to make. And ultimately like that's what wins basketball games, good decisions executed well. And so if you are a guy like Curry who spends a ton of energy offensively running around nonstop and then defensively you're involved a lot because the other team is trying to target you and you have to hold up like to be in mid-June in game six with the load that he's taken and to be able to consistently still blow by the defensive player of the year and get to the rim at, at the end of a game or hit a big shot you know that the corner three with about five minutes left and the pump fake that proceeded decision making that went into that, uh, to continue to make the right reads off pick and roll, like your brain's still operating at that extremely high level. That is conditioning. That is whatever he did. And I don't know exactly what it is. And I would love to get, uh, and I think there are, there are some articles that have been written, but I would love to, to get a deeper dive and maybe even go back and read some of those to refresh, but I don't know whether it was running. I don't know whether he spent a lot of time doing intervals on like non-contact type of stuff like an assault bike whatever it was you know part of it is on the court training obviously and how they they conduct those sessions but whatever it was that got him conditioned to be able to withstand that kind of load and still execute at a high level deserves praise and and should be studied frankly because it is as good as we've seen in this league and, and it's just it's just tremendous and it's very cool to watch as not only a basketball fan but someone who cares a lot about the strength and conditioning world
1: yeah absolutely absolutely
0: Okay. So next question. What about the rest of us
1: <laughs> on the
0: conditioning front? I, I don't, I don't got to go take on the Boston Celtics in game six of an NBA finals, but I also would like to operate a little bit easier in the things that I do. So been thinking a lot about conditioning lately for a lot of different reasons and, and had some great conversations with friends uh, who are training for a variety of different things. So we're going to talk about some of those conversations and pick Chris's brain on some of the conditioning stuff next on the train with the best podcast. The Train with the Best podcast is brought to you by Momentus. And I got to say, since we had the episode at this point, it's like 15 episodes ago with Patrick Dixon, the director of applied sports science for Momentus, I've been really on it with my supplement game. I Multivitamin every single day, brain drive every single day. I've been really on it with the vitamin D and magnesium along with my elite sleep at night. And last week was an incredible test of just how important that supplementation is. I didn't get a ton of sleep. I was had a bunch of stuff going on and, you know, later nights, early mornings, and my sleep is a little more inconsistent. And yet my whoop recoveries in the green, basically all week, I was stunned because there were some days I didn't even get six hours of sleep, but I got the most out of my sleep thanks to elite sleep. And my body was able to do the kind of repair work that it needs to, because it had all the vitamins and minerals that it needs. Thanks to the momentous supplementation. It is such a great way that they've set up their website now, too, is they've added all these new products from the Huberman Lab, and they explain what they do and best use. So go build yourself a routine, build yourself a regimen, and then stock up. Livemomentous.com. Use the code TRAINWITHTHEBEST25 on your first subscription order, and you'll get 25% off that order plus 15% off all of the refills. You're going to feel the difference. Go to the TRAINWITHTHEBEST25 is the code for 25% off your first order. The Train of the Best podcast is brought to you by Blaze Pod. And uh, did did you see the viral Blaze Pod video that went around last week? You know, you've heard of bending it like Beckham, but can you plank like the Beckhams? Yeah, David and Victoria Beckham doing a little plank competition with Blaze Pod, and it was really fun because for me. I actually had some clients that I did unknowingly before I ever saw the Beckham video did the same exact drill with, and they sent it to me and we're like, Hey, I guess we're just David and Victoria Beckham now. And I was like, well, who's who that's a conversation for a different day. The point is whether you're using it for what I think most people know BlazePod for speed, agility, reaction training, or as a really fun way to spice up other exercises from single leg RDLs to planks. BlazePod is a way to enhance your training, timing, reaction, adding that mental stimulus to any number of ways in which you train. It is a phenomenal way to enhance training during a session, to get your body warmed up, or to really make your athletes, especially if they're sport athletes, make decisions in a finisher when they're tired that will simulate those late game scenarios where execution is everything and the game is on the line. So, Go to blazepod.com, use the code TWTB for 15% off and get yourself a pair of blazepods. Go to blazepod.com and use TWTB for 15% off. Continuing on talking conditioning on the Train with the Best podcast. And Chris, I was talking to a great friend of the pod, Brandon Allen, the other day. Uh, He's got a really cool boxing event that's coming up. And I know you have trained for a fight before. Yeah. And uh, he has, he has started running to help his conditioning. Sure. And I I it was a really interesting conversation because I was impressed with his pace as someone who doesn't run. Uh, and he was you know running at a pretty good clip for just getting started again. And we were going back and forth on the merits of like low heart rate training versus just going out and running at a certain speed and, and some of these different things. Okay. And what I found myself coming back to is a big time keep the main thing the main thing scenario. Where, you know, you've got your legs that need to be trained if you're going to run. You've got your heart that is also a muscle and needs to be trained. Right. And it just depends on what it is that you are actually trying to achieve and, and understanding what variable in the equation you are trying to manipulate. That, that's kind of where I landed. Um, and, and I'm curious, when you think about conditioning for general population, when you think about conditioning for a specific event, like a boxing match, where, where do you start to... You know, talk to clients and, and think in your own mind of how you're going to program the conditioning side of things because I feel like we do spend in the strength and conditioning world an undue amount of time yeah. on strength.
1: There's a, yes. So when I think of conditioning or energy systems development or cardio or however else you want to call this, I really just break it down into three 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 different categories, which is your light intensity, your medium intensity and high intensity. It's just to keep it super simple, right? And it and, and really doesn't need to get much more complicated than that. Um, when you're training for a specific event, I take a look at that event and try to determine, all right, is this a light, medium, or, or high intensity type of event, right? So a boxing match is going to be medium to high, right? Like a, a 5K or a 10K is going to be low, right? Like a track meet, obviously high, right? So depending on where you're at, I, I, I typically train in the other two zones, Right. So especially like if you're if you're a, a low intensity uh, athlete, I was just talking to my cousin the other day uh, about how she has to get ready for uh, the Marine Corps fitness test. And, you know, she's, she's going to be um, going into training uh, in October. And she said, the hardest thing I have to do is I have to I have to do this three mile course. I have to do this three mile run, all the other strength stuff. I'm good at the sprint stuff. I'm good at. And I said, you know, Holly, like. It's a 20-minute run, which is long, but it's not that long. It's not an hour or longer, right? Like 20 minutes is a long run, but if you want to get better at running at that pace, what you have to do is get get to the point where that pace is so comfortable for you that it doesn't take away from – it's not as stressful on you. So, And the only way that you get that pace to be more comfortable is to train at a pace that's way higher than that. Right, so hey, if you want to run a seven-minute mile, don't run a mile at seven minutes. Run a half a mile or a quarter mile or a two hundred meter at a four-minute pace, and get good at that. Because if if you teach your body what that feels like and you get accustomed to that, then you go and you run your seven-minute pace or your eight-minute pace, and that's easy to you, right? So you know, for the the other thing that you see so much, especially this time of year, this is the one that just I. I hate this one because I see it from both sides now. I've come full circle on the yo-yo test, the beep test. And this is something that, like, a lot of female soccer players, especially in the college level, they worry about this so freaking much. And it's, like, not even a good indicator of who's in shape or whatever. But, like, if you want to get good at the yo-yo test, don't train at that pace train at a pace that's way higher than that so that when you're running that yo-yo test it feels like a light jog to you right um that's that's how i train for specific events whether it be a conditioning test or a boxing match or whatever it is try to determine where that is and then train above it and below it usually more than more more so i'm training above it i don't i don't value light intensity stuff that much unless we are getting ready for again like a, a marathon or something like that or a triathlon so this is where i i've been
0: experimenting a lot lately and doing some reading and and you know listening to people that i think are smart uh on s- some of the the below stuff some of the lower intensity stuff mm-hmm. because i think that there is a there's a there's a really high value in just having that base mm-hmm. and i want to run a, an analogy by you see what you think yeah. um and this matt wilpers from peloton who I think is fantastic, um, he does a lot of their, their bike, obviously, but also um, is one of their, their top run instructors. He talks about a pyramid approach sure. where same exact three levels, right? You have your, your low, your medium, and your high intensity. But if you think of the shape of a pyramid, yep. there's less as you go up. Yep, That's And so, so absolutely. you're going to spend the most time at the bottom of the pyramid Doing the lower intensity, building a base so that you can build the medium intensity on top of that. And then ultimately the high intensity yep. sprint type of stuff on top of that. And I, I just really like that. And, and also, you know, once you get into practice, I like the way my body feels after a low and slow run. Now, my hope is that my low and slow is not quite as slow as time goes on. Cause right now, in order for me to keep my heart rate, you know, around 150, let's say. I got to run really, really slow, and it's uh, it's not my favorite. It takes a lot of patience. It takes a lot of humility, and I don't always have it. Some days, I'm like, screw this. I'm going to do an interval. I'm going to do something else, but my body – like I got to the point where I can tell when my, without even looking at my watch or my Whoop Live or whatever, however I'm tracking on that day – When I'm starting to creep up, 160, 165, 170, things start to hurt. Things don't feel as good. And I can go for a low and slow, you know, 150 beat per minute run for 45 minutes, and if I start to climb up, that I start walking and, like, really do proper low heart rate training, and my body feels great. And so I think that when I've thought about it, and why why am I feeling this way now at age 32, like when I was younger, I just had that base. Like I was running around, I was more active playing sports. I was doing all these different things or I was just running more consistently as part of my workouts. And as my workouts, as I've gotten older, I've done a lot more strength work. And I, I think I just lost some of that base. And so building it back up has felt really good. And I think that there is a lot of value in that base. And I, and I think as a trainer too, it then becomes on you slash on us to understand okay, does my client have that base already? Which like if you're a soccer player and you're out there running around practice and games and all that right. kind of stuff, like you have the base already. Right. So we can be more maybe specific with the training. But for me at this point in my life as a recreational athlete um, and just someone who enjoys doing fitness, yep. to use a term that really sounds cool. <laughs> I do um, fitness. <laughs> I, I, I need to actually get that base because I'm not getting it in my other activities.
1: I agree with you, I'm, and I'm, when I say that I don't necessarily value uh, the the low-intensity cardio, I, I just don't value low-intensity running, per se, because like you said, mm-hmm. a lot of our athletes are already getting that from practices and other stuff, and for me, the way that I've gotten that is I I get that through our training sessions, right? Like, I can keep somebody's heart rate at about... 130 to 140 and and I can I can put them in through yoga flows and and get their heart rate up right So to to me like heart rate is the heart rate like it doesn't matter distance covered Right, so I can I can have somebody's heart rate where I want it to be for an hour session Which is a 45 minute to an hour run without putting their pounding on the body and working on the things that I need to, to to take them through right so like when, when I think sometimes people think of like a corrective exercise session as like this relaxing recovery session thing and that's not what a recovery session feels like with me right like a recovery session with me is going to be that we're gonna let your joints recover we're gonna let CNS recover a little bit but this is going to be a workout and like I, I count our recovery corrective sessions to be some of that base work because we keep their heart rate up we're we're moving constantly for 60 minutes there's not a whole lot of downtime in a recovery session we're flowing from one thing to the other um working on stability mobility all those other things so i still believe in that base and 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 even more so that's that 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 pyramid that that you chose uh to use as analogy i love the pyramid analogy i, I remember like early in my career i think i posted this back when trainergorez.com was a thing on a blog where like the not only not only is it a pyramid, but like I I, I took a picture of a Lego pyramid. So you can think, if you think of a pyramid made of Legos, right? First of all, exactly what you said, a pyramid it starts out wide, um, and then as you get higher up into the volumes, the volume becomes a little bit lower, but just more intense. And at the bottom of that Lego pyramid that I picked, it was whatever color you wanted. It didn't matter. Just throw that stuff in there. It's very general, right? And then as you get to the top of the pyramid and the Lego picture that I that I posted. Then the colors were were matching, and then there was a specific pattern that it followed, right? So when you get into the high-intensity stuff, it's very specific what you're trying to train for so that you know, all right, this is the moment that I'm training for. Whereas in the bottom of the period, it's very wide. It's very general. doesn't matter what color it is, right? So for me, if I'm going to be in that bottom of that pyramid, I'm going to try to include as much as I possibly can, bring some joy into it, bring some of the athlete intelligence stuff into it, right? I'm not going to waste a low to me. I, I should say I shouldn't say waste because for some people, like you said, this it is great for them. It feels good to, to go out for a low level run, for sure. right? But for right. for me, for athletes, for some people, like
0: a long a long easy run is joy. Yeah. Like that is yeah. that is what joy is. Yeah,
1: and so for me, just for me personally, that's not joy for me. I would much rather <laughs> do like an athlete intelligence session, right? Where where I'm where I'm like reacting to stuff and have to think, and I that gets my heart rate up. Like I would much rather do that. That's more fun for me. Uh, to do that for 45 minutes to an hour, and I'm working on so many different movements at that point, right? I'm not just running in a straight line at a low level. I'm cutting. I'm shifting. I'm changing directions. I'm, I'm moving up and down. I'm thinking. So so those are the things I think about when I'm talking about conditioning uh, on a low level. Yeah, no,
0: for sure. And I think there's a couple things you said there that I, I think are really worth following up on one, just cause it's the last thing you said and it's now top of my mind. You gotta be careful if you're going to do some of that stuff though. Right. Because if you're, if let's say you've got blaze pods out and you're doing decision-making sure. drills, right. You can't make it like super intense cutting. Oh, like we're not doing right. 10 second intervals. And like, you know, obviously like this is where that, you know, why I keep coming back to that phrase that we use so often is kind of the mantra of the way we train, keep the main thing, the main thing, right. If you're trying to Make it a low intensity session, even if you are having fun. Maybe there's a lot of high energy uh, because you're you're being competitive or whatever it may be. You got to decide, design your intervals and the drill to be big enough that people aren't, right. you know, doing five yard sprint cut that. Cause now you're at the top of the pyramid. Now, now, now you are doing exactly the opposite of the thing. But if you set up like a really big grid and you make people go for a minute and they know like, yo, you can't empty the tank. Like we're trying to do this on, on a minute on a minute off, or or even maybe something that is going to take the intensity down more than that. A one-to-one, maybe, maybe you're doing like a minute on, 30 seconds rest and it it's a and it winds up being like a, a high speed jog between the whatever but you still have the decision making element now we're in that low intensity space so that that's one thing that i definitely think is worth pointing out is like that doesn't just because you don't want to send someone on a long run doesn't mean you get the blaze pods out oh, of course and do yeah, a, yeah. a small box yeah you know tabata style <laughs> decision making drill um and then the other thing too is like you know we talk about keeping the main thing the main thing the heart is a muscle which means you can train it like a muscle and it doesn't it does not have a brain of its own it doesn't know whether you are running whether you are swimming whether you are biking whether you are doing squats or and then you know some dumbbell bench and whatever on, on a enough of a work rest ratio rotation that it's staying at 130 beats per minute or 140 150 beats per minute so whatever the the method is the principle there right. is the same right. and your heart does not know the difference. That is not to say that your legs don't. So like you can't go out and expect, oh, well, I did all these, I did all this biking or I did all this swimming and expect to go out and run and be fast because your legs need to be trained. And that, that was something that I did earlier this week was I did a cut down run because as great as these runs have felt, and I do have like a running adjacent event that I'm training for in the future. So for me, like my time is still important. And for as good as these long, low, slow runs feel, I needed to get some speed in my legs. Mm -hmm. I needed my feet to move quickly. And so I've got to get back to that. Otherwise, yes. Will my time come down gradually? Yes. Will it ever get where I need it to go? Just by low and slow, low and slow, low and slow. No, I need the other parts of the pyramid. So just to reiterate, one, make sure that you're actually doing the thing that you're after. And two, remember your heart doesn't have a brain. It, It No matter what you are doing, if it's in that range, you are getting the training adaptation that you want in that range
1: right yeah i I couldn't said it better and and so so for when you're talking about like general population again like uh, i I think most general population isn't going to dedicate four hours a day to training right (laughs) like if if we can get if you are i want to know what job you have that's
0: sustainable for you if you
1: can get four hours a week of training right like that's that's really good if you get three hours a week of training that's really good. So, you know, I, I think you have to think about a low intensity day, a medium intensity day and a high intensity day. Um, and, and even, even your lifts should, should match that a little bit. Right. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's how I I try to target it for me personally. Um, you know, uh, and, and a lot of it too is, is tied into your aesthetic goals, right? You want to look a certain way, you want to feel a certain way or, you know, fit in certain clothes or whatever. Um, So, you know, can be, can be. Yeah. So, uh, the, the eating has to match that as well. Um, you know, we, we talked to, um, yeah, yeah, we talked to Megan about fueling these workouts. Right. So, and and you, you fuel appropriately. Right. So, right. There's so, there's so much that, that goes into the conditioning part of it, but I think just to make it super simple for everybody, the three parts of the pyramid, low, medium, high, Make sure that you're at least touching each part of that pyramid throughout the week. Um, and, and if you can do that, then, then you're doing a pretty good job.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Um, I always, you know, go by the philosophy of I care more about what your body can do than what it can look or what it looks right. like. You know, obviously, some people are going to have aesthetic goals and that's a whole separate conversation. But, you know, I, I think that's actually for a training perspective, really important is like, OK, what am I asking my body to do? You know, and understanding that goal with a fine precision, if you if you have one in in a current moment, but understanding what that is with fine precision will help you set up that plan to understand what the main thing is that you're trying to keep the main thing in the first place. So that's always that's always key uh with that that's our pod for this week we'll be back on next week's show big announcement on next week's show i'm excited for that uh so we will have more on that just just a little tease at the end of the pod your reward for sticking around is that you get to wait another week and then find out what the big news is um other than that i uh chris i'm gonna go for a run so uh, i'll see you i'll see you next week
1: all right sounds good